Good morning, everyone. Uh, good to see you today and a happy, happy uh, new year to anybody I haven't seen up to this point yet. It's good to see you today. Um, guys, I wanted to start off as always and um, say uh, thank you so much for everyone who was able to participate with us this past week and a week of consecration to God, really giving your first and your best of the year to God in fasting and prayer. Um, thank you for those of you who've come in with IV drips um, and uh, really are willing to press through the uh, lack of food. But listen, I'm telling you, it is good to praise God and see him break through through fasting and prayer. Is it not? It is good to believe God for greater things as we go into a new decade, right? He says, behold, over and over again, I'm making all things new. And so in the midst of this new decade, we believe that through a time of consecration, he's going to take us from faith to faith, from strength to strength, and from glory to glory, right? That's the promise of God. And so um, welcome to the new decade, and um, it's good to see everybody today. So if I haven't met you yet, my name is Roland Fisher. I'm the lead pastor here. And it's um, a privilege to bring you the word today. Um, before we get started, I also wanted to say um, a very happy birthday as of yesterday to our very own Pastor Cole Parlier. We love him, do we not? Would everybody appreciate him? So make sure you show him some love. Um, and then also today, um, on this very day, Miss Erica Jellerson's birthday is today. Yeah, yes. So celebrations all around. All right. So with that in mind, we're going to jump into the word. What we have the privilege of doing is actually joining with our greater uh, expanded ministry. We as a church, as Second City Church, are part of a larger ministry that's a church planting ministry throughout the world. It's called Every Nation. And the Every Nation ministry has been part of this prayer and fasting um, movement. And the theme of this year's fasting and prayer was amazing grace. And so over the course of the next several weeks, many of you were able to participate with the app or the Bible study that you were able to download um, going through the Amazing Grace Bible study. But if not, the good news is, is that, or even if so, we're going to be setting a theological foundation for how to approach God through the amazing grace that he's given us over the next several weeks, okay? How many people know that this is a gospel of grace, okay? It's a gospel of grace, and so we're going to understand it according to God's word. So as far as uh, taking notes today, if you want to have sort of a theme uh, thought that we're going to uh, drive home today, it's that God's grace is greater than man's sin. God's grace is greater than man's sin. And if anybody is going to serve God, they need to have a proper understanding of that. If you're going to approach God in relationship, you've got to have an understanding that God's grace is greater than any of our sins. And so what we want to do is have a deeper appreciation, trust, and responsiveness to the grace offered us through Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today, and we thank you that truly your grace to us is greater than any of our sin. God, it doesn't matter whether we grew up in the church or not. It doesn't matter if we blew it last night or not. Father, today is a new day and your mercies are new every morning. God, we thank you that the grace expressed to us through the cross of Jesus Christ is greater than any of our sin. And we pray that you would help us today to go deeper in that revelation and to learn how to live in it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 
All right, if you have a Bible today, you can open to Romans chapter 5. We're going to read verses 15 through 21. That's the text where we'll be uh, camped out today. And if you do not have a Bible, the uh, scripture will be there on the screen for you. But what we're talking about today is abundant grace. Abundant grace. God's grace is greater than any of man's sin because of the abundant grace that we have. Let's start by reading the scripture. I'm going to read it slowly because whenever Paul's talking there, sometimes when you're reading the Bible that it's easier to read it because it's telling a story, right? You're reading about the life of somebody and you're seeing how God's interacting with somebody in the life that he's given them. When you get to theological matters as is represented in Romans, we need to take the time to digest it a bit more, right? And so even if you don't pick up on it, um, as we have this reading, that's okay. The Bible is there for you to go back and study, right? The Bible is there for us to digest over the course of time, and we're going to break it down and piecemeal it today, but it will be there for you to um, comprehend later. And so let's start in verse 15. It says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, and We'll get to this in a moment, that the one man that the scripture is talking about is Adam, the first man, right? If many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. So when Adam sinned, it brought condemnation for all of humanity. But the free gift following many trespasses, humanity's sin, brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, meaning Jesus worked for us on the cross, one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, meaning Adam's, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, meaning Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, here's the good news, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So what you have is a comparison. You have a comparison between two different activities and the results of two different men's activities. We see Adam being the first of God's creation, the first man, coming and introducing sin into the world. And through that sin, all men, all women became sinners. We are not just the product of sin, but we inherited sin as our MO, did we not? 
If you have children, you see that their MO, regardless of the environment that you try to raise them in, their sin is their MO, right? People are naturally, from their youth, bent towards disobedience, bent towards evil, and we have to train them to do otherwise. The good news, though, is, is that in Jesus Christ, this act of obedience, meaning his perfect obedience to God Almighty, expressed a grace to us that is greater than any of the sin of humanity that we've ever or will ever commit from this point forward. So understanding abundant grace starts off like this. Many of you heard in May 2019 that there was a man who spoke at Morehouse University. How many people have um, heard of a man named Robert F. Smith before? Robert F. Smith. And if you heard of Robert F. Smith, he was asked to be a keynote speaker in the May 2019 uh, <coughs> uh, university commencement speech for Morehouse. And if you were not there, or you were not one of those students there, you wish you would have been. The reason being that this man was the exact representation of the grace that we all want to receive. At the end of his commencement speech, he basically said, this man is a functioning billionaire, and he said at the end of his speech that for the entire class of 2019, he, out of his kindness, was going to cancel the debts of the entire class of 2019. The entire class of 2019. And so any of you who are still working to pay off debts right now, how many people now wish you went to Morehouse? Okay, how many people now wish that you had delayed or even been a 10th year senior, you know, just to be able to be a part of that issue of having your debts canceled? Well, that was a direct representation of grace, people being able to experience and receive something that they didn't work for, that they didn't earn, that they didn't deserve, but someone out of their kindness initiated it and gave it to them so that they were the beneficiaries. And whenever we understand the grace of God, we've got to understand it in terms of the terminology that he's using. When we understand the word grace, it is that which is given freely and generously. Freely and generously. That whatever God gives you in the life of God and in the abundance of his kindness towards you, he's giving it to you both freely and generously, meaning that you didn't earn it. You couldn't work your way toward it. It wasn't because of the good things that you did that made God turn his heart or his kindness toward you. It was out of the abundance of his goodness that his eye is set on you. And isn't that good news? Because if anybody has lived life long enough, they've actually been in a place where they know their own faults. They know their own shortcomings. They know their own sin. And if we're honest with ourselves, we, no matter how much we try to ha encourage ourselves, how much we try to forgive ourselves, how much we try to tell ourselves that we're good enough, smart enough, and doggone it, people like us, we know that we're not worthy of the kindness that God himself gives us. But the good news is it was never dependent on that in the first place. The grace of God was given freely and out of his generosity, which means that it's out of his character, not yours. It's out of his abundance, not your own. That is the grace that he's talking about here. And so whenever we to better understand grace and the nature of this generous gift, what we see is that in that scripture, 
Paul uses two stories that serve as a backdrop for our text today. The story of Adam in Genesis 3 and the story of Christ dying on the cross. In Genesis 3, we see the story of the fall, right? The fall of man. The serpent tempts Eve into disobeying God's command, and she ate the forbidden fruit. She later gives that fruit to Adam, and he ate as well, and the effects of sin are felt immediately, right? If any of you have come into this place today feeling distant from God or feeling like, I want to know God or I want to believe there is a God, but I'm not quite sure about him, that is the result of sin. It's a separation between a holy, loving God and yourself who came and created you for relationship with himself, but sin separates us from it. This was the original story with the fall of man. But the good news is, is that in the grace of God, God immediately came looking, immediately came looking for fallen man. And what we see is that he gave them a promise after dealing with the sin of Adam and Eve, and he said, I'm going to make a way for you to come back. Over the course of the fast, not only was I utilizing the uh, Bible study that we have for Amazing Grace, I was also reading the prophet Zechariah. And Zechariah is one of those prophets that sometimes people don't read, but you need to. You have it, and one of the solidifying scriptures for me is God said, if you return to me, I will return to you. A very simple statement, but it, it applies to both people who've been in the church and people who've been out. He said, you've been dealing with the results of your sin up to this point, but if you return to me, here's the good news. In my grace, because of what Jesus did on the cross, I want to make a return to you as well. And God doesn't want to leave us as orphans. God doesn't want to leave us wallowing in the effects of our sin, whether it be handed down to us or that's perpetuated by our own actions and activity because of our drunkenness, because of our sexual immorality, because because of our lying and stealing and deception. He says, we have paid the price for these things, but God says, if you return to me because of my grace, I'll return to you as well. The results were shown first by Adam being separated from God. But the good news is, is that this fractured relationship was not where God left us. He said, I'm going to show you grace through my seed, my person, my savior that I send to reconcile you to myself. Now, the way that he did this, though, was by dealing with transgression. Transgression, if you've ever heard that word before, as we see it in the scripture, transgression literally in the Greek meant fallen down from being beside. Fallen down from being beside. Transgression is understood as knowing the good you ought to do, but choosing to do what's wrong anyway. Meaning that you were walking with God in relationship, but you fell down from that place of walking beside him. So that that absolutely applies to both Christians and non-Christians, does it not? It applies to a place where it's sort of like, has anyone never known the good they ought to do before, but then chosen not to do it anyway? Anybody before? Oh, I've I've done that and I've been ashamed, right? But the good news is, is that transgression, he labels it according to the law as transgression so that we'd know the seriousness of it. We'd know the seriousness of it. The law, he said, came in to increase the trespass, to increase the seriousness of it. People don't know the greatness of God's salvation because they have not dealt with the seriousness of their sin. 
And when you do not understand the seriousness of sin, then you'll never fully appreciate the greatness of the salvation that God's given you in Christ Jesus. But to express grace to you that's abundant and abounding, he says, I've got to deal with and highlight the trespass. Now, this is, this is foreign to our present culture because everybody's trying to get to the feel goods, right? Everybody's just trying to get to the place where you feel better about yourself. And what really people are looking for is an internal peace. They're looking for an internal peace. People are harassed and helpless. I'm talking about people who are achieving at the heights of their careers, seem to have it all in terms of money, opportunity, and all types of relationships. But there's an internal torment that drives them every day. And why? It's because of the trespass. It's because of the separation between them and God. But instead of turning to God to get the peace that they're so desiring and looking for, they run to other things. And whenever God brings his law, he says, I'm identifying the things that have separated you from me so that you can begin to despise it as I do, turn to me as I am, and receive the grace that's abundant for you. He's trying to cut off that which is killing us. He's trying to cut off that which brings death. How often have people been perpetuating relationships that have been destructive for them. Anybody ever been there before? Or how about this? Counsel people before in situations like this. Destructive relationships where people were taking advantage of them physically, emotionally, right? Or maybe you are bound in something like pornography, right? because of the loneliness in your heart and going back to the screen again and again to receive something that you desire naturally but haven't seen fulfilled physically yet. But you actually end up being tormented by the very thing that you think is going to give you pleasure. And God's like, I'm trying to free you from the very thing that's killing you to bring you into the life of abundant grace that I have for you. But I can't do it if you will not agree with me calling a sin a sin. Calling transgression, transgression. Whenever we continue to look over it or just try to ignore it, then we continue in it. Do we not? It's like if I can excuse my sin, then I'll perpetuate in my sin. If I begin to excuse it because everybody else is doing it, or that's just the way men are, or that's just the way women are, or that's just the culture in which I live, then we continue in the very sin that's killing us. When God says, I've given you my law not to condemn you, but to free you, to call transgression, sin, sin, understand that it's killing you, and tell you I've got a better way. I've got a better way for you, the abundance of my grace, if you would continue to understand that just like Adam, the transgression is what separated you from me, but I've got abundant grace to bring you back. To bring you back. That means wherever, whatever you've done, wherever you started, there's hope for you. Isn't that good news? In Christ, there's hope for you. Because I've see, he said, I've seen it all. I've seen it all. 
I've seen what you've done in public, and I've seen what you've done in the secret place. I've seen what you've posted on social media, and I've seen those secret conversations when you thought nobody was around. He said, I've seen it all. I call sin, sin, transgression, transgression. You've seen the results of it, but still my abundant grace comes for you. My abundant grace comes for you. You see, Christ on the cross wasn't dealing with us in the absence of sin. He was dealing us in the midst of it. He didn't come to us because we were good enough. He didn't come to us because we had it all together. He didn't come to us because we did everything right, even after you are a Christian. Hear me now. I'm not just preaching to people who didn't know him yet. I'm talking to people who have who have, who've tried to walk with him for years and have fallen short again and again. Let me tell you, he starts off his word again and again, saying grace and peace be yours in abundance through Jesus Christ, your Lord. He says, but you've got to call sin, sin to be able to be done with it. Transgression, transgression to be able to be done with it and stop making excuses for it. What makes sin so sinful is not just what we do, but who we do it against. The point is, is that King David, when he understood his sin finally, he said, Lord, against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. The issue was our first, our broken relationship with God. And if we can understand it in that way, then we'll be able to come back to him appropriately receiving the grace that he has for us that only he can appropriate to us through the cross. What does this mean for us? It means that Adam's sin messed up our relationship with God. The result is death, judgment, and condemnation. These are words that refer to sentencing in court. And our feelings of guilt toward God is not just a feeling in our consciousness that is caused by bad thinking, right? It's not just caused by bad thinking. That's what we want to reduce it to on the bookshelves of our day, right? It's just bad thinking. I need to have better patterns of thought. But it's not just bad thinking. It is a reality caused by sin. Something had to be done concerning our transgressions. We have followed the patterns of our father Adam. And however, God's grace transforms our relationship with God. <clears throat> It's important to note that this grace may be freely given, but it's not cheap. It's not cheap. Whenever God was dealing with our transgression, he he gave the life of his son. Right? To be forgiven, he had to pay a price. It's a free gift to us, but it cost him the life of his son. And has anybody ever been in a place like that before where you were so desperate to get past a mistake that you made that you didn't want to deal with any of the consequences of the mistake, you just wanted to move on, right? Have you, has anyone ever said that to somebody before? Can't we just move on, <laughs> right? Anybody ever said that? Do we have to talk about this anymore? Oh, I, I've said that to my wife B so many times. <laughs> I've been like, do we, do we need to belabor this? <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. She's always a big deal to me. <laughs> and I'm like, show you right. 
Same with God, right? It's understanding that he had to pay a price for our transgressions so that we might go free. It cost Jesus his life. And whenever we understand the gospel, we can understand it like this. I like how Dr. Rice Brooks described the gospel. <clears throat> he gave us a working definition that the gospel is the good news, that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died in our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he is the son of God and offering the gift of, <clears throat> of, forget, uh, of um, forgiveness of sins to anyone who repents and believes in him. What we can learn in the midst of it costing God his life is that <clears throat> the forgiveness that he has for us, the abundant grace that he has for us, is at least summarized in three things. And then I'm going to give you three bonus ones, so they're really six, but I'm trying to keep your attention. Okay. <laughs> First of all, God's grace is greater than what we've done. God's grace is greater than what we've done. That's what the scripture clearly says. Nobody needs to walk around in guilt and shame when you've come to the cross of Christ. Because he says, I'm going to wipe it away. Guilt, shame, I offer you my forgiveness, hope, and new life. <clears throat> Number two, God's grace is greater than what we deserve. It's not just greater than what we've done, but it's also greater than what we deserve. How does that transform your coming to God? It means that whatever place you find yourself in, you can run to him. And if you're going to fall, you're going to fall forward, not fall backwards. So many people get trapped in that cycle, especially as Christians. You end up running for a while and then you stumble and then instead of running to God immediately for forgiveness, you keep going away from him because you're ashamed. Have you ever been, anybody been there before? There's a subtlety, but it's important. And say, well, I've already blown it, so I'm just going to keep going in the way that I've started because I've already messed up. But because of grace and him giving you his grace because of not what you deserve, but because of his kindness, you can come to him whether you're doing well or not because you didn't deserve it from the get-go. And nor are you going to deserve it at any point in your walk with him. The grace of God keeps you. Not only does it start you in relationship with him, but it keeps you. And if you're going to fall, fall forward. Fall into the arms of grace. That's why the Bible says, a righteous man, don't like lay in wait for a right, at a righteous man's camp, meaning waiting to take him down, right? I remember when I first became a Christian, everybody was waiting for me to mess up. Especially when I started saying that I was a Christian. Anybody have friends like that before? Anybody remember that? I remember, you, like I had friends back at home, they were like, I, I remember being on the road one day, and I was telling like some of my old high school friends about my new life in Christ, and I was driving over this bridge in Charleston, South Carolina, where my parents live. 
And they were like, you, you really, you really different, Roland? I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm serving Jesus now. You know, and then all of a sudden I was driving and didn't, wasn't watching the speed limit. And then got about five, ten miles over the speed limit. And they were like, ha! I knew it! You're still the same, Roland. Let's go party. And I was like, come on, man. I'm different. Okay, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to slow down and then go back to God. Okay, I could ask for forgiveness for breaking the speed limit, and then we could keep going. But you need to serve Jesus, all right? <laughs> so, the point is, is that the grace of God is there from beginning to end, right? Beginning to end. So no matter where you start with him, if you've blown it, you can come out back because he says, though I'm a righteous man, falls seven times, seven times he gets up again. Seven times he gets up again. Why? Because the grace of God is the same from beginning to end. Number three, God's grace is greater than what we fear. God's grace is greater than what we fear. Verse 17 of Romans 5, he says again, For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? For many, the greatest fear we deal with is death. As we saw in Romans 5.12, death entered through sin. Now later in verse 17, we see that the result of that death reigned through one man. However, because of the gift of God, we can now reign in this life. We don't have to fear that we're going to be caught or trapped in the same patterns that were handed down to us or that we've walked in up to this point. He says, I came to set you free. Through the grace of God. So also, the scripture says, grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Finally, the bonus round um, points. Uh, because of God's abundance grace, we can be justified, which means counted innocent in his sight, according to verse 16. Meaning that you're innocent when he looks at you because not of your own activity or not because of your own history, but because of Christ's history. His history covers you, and he makes an exchange with you. So when he looks at you, he says, I'm looking at Jesus' record, not yours. And I count you justified, innocent in my sight when you come to me through the cross. <clears throat> Bonus round number two, because of God's abundant grace, we can be triumphant, meaning we can actually win in this fight against sin. Anybody, is, that good, is that good news to everybody? <laughs> I hope it is. I don't have to be bound anymore. I can be triumphant. And then finally, number three, because of God's abundant grace, we can be righteous. We can be righteous. In right standing with him and living a righteous life. So to close, when the students receive news, going back to the Morehouse ceremony, when the students receive news about their tuition being paid, they celebrated like it really happened like it already happened, right? If you got that news, you're going to party. Like it's 1999, right? It's like, listen, when I get news that my student loans are paid for, if somebody even teases me with that, right? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so they began to party like it already happened. They did not have to see their account because they trusted what was spoken. God's grace is freely given as a gift due to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. However, like any gift, we must receive that gift by faith. 
So whether you feel it or not, when you come to Christ, you're under the grace of God. And you need to live like it from that point forward because he said so and it's yours. And as you begin to walk it out by faith, then you'll see the results of it. And when the creditors come calling or the enemy starts accusing, you'll be able to go back to the promise that's been made, saying, my debt's been paid. I am free because of the abundant grace of God and his work continually in my life. And that's good news, not only for you, but for all who aren't here with us today. So wherever you are, come to Jesus and receive his abundant grace. Amen.